I'm Susan Moran. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, November 15th, 2022. Coming up, if you think that our green state of Colorado ranks among states as one that recycles a high percentage of its waste, well, a just-published report might disappoint you. But some recent policy changes, as the report shows, could help bring dramatic improvements. Our two guests are Suzanne Jones, Executive Director of EcoCycle, and Anya Brendan. She's the U.S. Plastics Policy Analyst at Ocean Conservancy. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Scientists at Northwestern University in Chicago have now documented a link between uterine fibroid tumors and a class of modern chemicals that are found in everyday plastics, plastics such as shower curtains and lunchboxes. The chemical is also part of long-lasting artificial fragrances that are now commonplace in products ranging from air fresheners to beauty aids to laundry detergent. The chemical in question is called a phthalate. Phthalates are known to be toxic, but their use is not banned in the United States. The Northwestern University researchers chose to study phthalates and fibroid uterine tumors because it's such a widespread problem. 80% of U.S. women will develop a uterine tumor sometime in their lives. It's the most common form of tumor in women, and it's not without risk. Fibroid uterine tumors can cause bleeding, miscarriages, and infertility. The Northwestern University researchers hope that by documenting the link between phthalates and an increased prevalence of fibroid uterine tumors, more pressure will be put on industries to limit the widespread use of phthalates. This study has just been published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. By the way, phthalates have been linked to many more problems than tumors in women. And one way to reduce your exposure to these toxic substances is to skip the scented household products and go for fragrance-free. For How on Earth, I'm Shelley Schlender. Seems like every week there's a new finding about SARS-CoV-2, and that's the official name of the virus that causes covid And that's how science works, incremental progress. This past week, researchers in Germany reported that viral infection can lead to subsequent diabetes. The exact details of how this happens have yet to be worked out. The first step is known, however, and that is that the virus can get into the insulin-producing cells of the pancreas, called beta cells, by the same doorway that allows it entry into our respiratory cells. To make this connection, The researchers looked at electronic patient records. They looked at three indices of diabetes. First, they saw an increased risk of new diagnosis of diabetes during 12 weeks following infection. Second, there was an increase in prescriptions for insulin within 90 days of COVID diagnosis. And third, at 12 months after the diagnosis of COVID, the numbers of patients with diabetes and hyperglycemia had increased. Diabetes is already one of the most common chronic diseases worldwide. Even if COVID contributes only a small increase to this disease burden, the 600 million current cases of COVID-19 worldwide could add a large number of diabetes cases. Given that healthcare systems worldwide are already strained, this finding further bolsters the importance of public health measures to contain the pandemic. This report was published last week in Nature Metabolism. For How on Earth... I'm Beth Bennett.
You're listening to KGNU's Science Show. I'm Susan Moran. In case you missed the memo, today is National Recycling Day. And this week, by the way, is Colorado Recycle Week. For those living on the front range and beyond, we like to think that all those cardboard boxes, plastic containers, cartons, glass bottles, you name it, that so many products come in, get recycled, and that much of our organic waste gets composted. But a report that was just released today gives Colorado a far from stellar score on recycling and composting. That said, the report also highlights some recently passed legislation that could help dramatically improve the landscape, largely by holding producers, manufacturers, responsible for the waste that their products generate. Our two guests today will help shed light on the environmental impacts of trash, as well as the challenges and promises of reducing and reusing waste. Suzanne Jones is Executive Director of EcoCycle. That's the organization that jointly produced the new report. She joins us in the studio. Nice to have you, Suzanne. Thank you for having me, Susan. It's great to be here. And Anya Brendan is the U.S. Plastics Policy Analyst at OSHA Conservancy, an environmental nonprofit organization. She joins us via phone from her home in Portland, Oregon. Anya, welcome to How on Earth. Thank you for having me. So I want to start right here on the Front Range in Colorado. And Suzanne Jones, ask you, give us a snapshot of particularly the numbers that I alluded to, the findings in this new producer responsibility, well, in the, the report on recycling and composting. So the report that we're releasing is our sixth annual State of Recycling and Composting in Colorado report, which EcoCycle uh, releases with Coperg each year. And there's a good news, bad news scenario, as you just pointed out. One is that Colorado remains at 16% Recycling and composting rate. Meaning 16% 16 of the recyclable and compostable waste gets actually 16% of our waste stream. All the waste stream. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is less less than half the national average. The national average is 32%. So Colorado is one of the the worst 20 states in the country. So that's sobering news. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of reasons for that, but... Which we can go into, I hope. Um, But the good news is we have been making huge progress in passing policies in the last year, in uh, the last few years, but in particular last year, that set the stage for Colorado to have a recycling revolution where we dramatically increase our recycling rates. So it's very exciting. We're actually a national model for policy. We just now need our diversion rate to catch up as those policies get implemented. Mm-hmm. And of course, devil's in the details. Why, yes. We'll, we'll jump into that. But first, a um, little bit more on the numbers. So if Colorado's recycling rate is 16%, break that down because what is it? 10% is actually recycling, 6% of the whole organic waste stream gets composted. Is that right? 6% of the entire waste stream is uh, composted. Is composted. Okay. So combined, it's 16%. Put another way, we produce about 6 million tons of waste every year in Colorado. Of that, 1.1 million tons is diverted for recycling or composting. So we have a ways to go. Mm -hmm. I would say 95% of what we send to the landfills somewhere in that vicinity could actually be recycled or composted. So That is huge. Restate that. 95%. That's, meaning there's only 5%. That's really 
And some of that's hard to recycle materials. Some, you know, like mattresses, obviously those don't go in the single stream bin. There's a lot of materials in there, but most of them could be put to much better use than burying them in the ground where they rot. And I think what's telling or interesting about the numbers in the report is not just that it's how Colorado ranks nationally, but that Colorado's falling far short of its own goals, like the 2021 goal for recycling, I think was 28%, and we're at 16%. So tell us a bit, what accounts for that gap? One of the biggest challenges is that only roughly 30% of Coloradans have access to guaranteed recycling. We're spoiled here in Boulder. We've had curbside recycling since EcoCycle brought it to Boulder back in the 70s. Well, six of the 10 largest cities in Colorado, for example, they don't have guaranteed recycling. And what I mean by guaranteed recycling is when you get your trash service, you automatically get recycling service with it. You don't have to pay extra for it. You don't have to do Mm -hmm. anything extra for it. You get the bin. And um, it's one of the simplest things that we could do to change the situation is get convenient recycling to all Coloradans. And the exciting news is that's what producer responsibility policy that we just passed this legislative session will do. Yeah, and we'll get to that. So that's a huge piece of it you're saying is access and lack of access. But the Front Range, which has access in most places, also fell quite short of its own goal. What accounts for that? Well, what I'm talking about is guaranteed access. So yes, if you live in Aurora, you could go into the yellow pages and find yourself a hauler that would be willing to come and get your recyclables. That's not convenient. That's not easy. It's not cheap. What we have in Boulder that we want the rest of the state to have is automatic curbside recycling. You get a trash bin, you get a recycling bin, and we also get a compost bin. Okay, you don't have to do anything extra. That's part of your trash package. Okay, so that's what we're after. And the Front Range um, doesn't have easy access, especially if you live in an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Um, your uh, ability to access services is very limited. And then in rural part of the states, the same situation applies. So again, we've put some policies in place to address that. Yeah, and we'll we'll dive into that in a bit. But um, I want to bring on Anya Brendan, also from Ocean Conservancy, because plastic is not. Maybe Suzanne Jones, you can, you can address this. It's not a big percentage of the waste stream here, but nationally and globally, it sure is. So maybe first, actually, Suzanne Jones, what percentage of the waste stream is actually? plastics and of that sort of single-use plastics? Thanks for that question. Plastics is getting a lot of attention lately, and there's a lot of concern because plastics are a problem. I will say, and I just want to make sure all of our uh, listeners understand, recycling is working well for the vast majority of products. So keep recycling. Glass, aluminum, paper, cardboard, it's all getting recycled, and it's really important that we continue doing that. Plastics is a little trickier because a lot of plastics that are made aren't recyclable. But they make up 10% of the waste stream, for example, that comes into the Boulder County Recycling Mm -hmm. Center. And of that 10%, less than a half of a percent, so 0.5% is the numbers threes, sixes, and sevens, the the hard-to-recycle plastics that are 
um, often single-use disposables. As opposed to those at the top or like the PET? Number ones and number two. So PET. The water bottles. Yep. yep. And HDPE, which are your detergent uh, jugs, your milk jugs. Those have robust markets and are readily recyclable. Um, so those are getting recycled. Um, I should point out everything that you put in your bin that are in our guidelines here in Boulder County gets recycled. That isn't necessarily true around the world. Mm -hmm. And so, anyhow, getting rid of unnecessary plastics is a huge part of agenda, as I'm sure Anya would agree. So nice segue to Anya Brendan, who's the U.S. Plastics Policy Analyst at Ocean Conservancy, environmental nonprofit. Anya, give us a sense of you know, your perspective and, and what the data show on the global plastic trash. And are we making any progress overall, or is it just getting worse and why? That's a great question. Um, globally, we know that we are at an absolute crisis point in terms of plastic pollution. Um, and at this point, it's really impacting all of us. We know plastics are everywhere from the deepest part of our ocean to the top of mountains in our national parks. They're in our food. They're in our bodies. Um, and that is really why we are starting to talk about what the heck else can we do with these plastics? Um, how can we get them out, get them and keep them out of our environment? Um, and we know plastics recycling is falling short across the nation and across the world. Uh, but I think it's really important to step back and ask, how did we get here? Uh, and Susan just hinted at this. You know, one reason uh, that we're in this situation is we are simply making too many single-use plastics, and so many of those plastics are not designed to be recyclable in the first place. Which also seems to beg the question, why is there not, or is there starting to be more pressure on the manufacturers themselves. I mean, separate from this Colorado legislation, but that because are you really expecting consumer behavior to change? It seems like half the grocery stores these days are single use, you know, chopped cheese. It's all in plastic. It's all in those kind of containers. Do you see much changing and particularly in terms of pressure upstream on manufacturers and packagers? Yes. Um, you know, we are starting to see a real um, groundswell of momentum for change. Um, and I think it's part, in part fueled by recognizing this is not an accident. We didn't get here um, by accident. You know, we know that really cheaply available raw materials, um, which are for plastics, single, um, are, are fossil fuels. We know that has led to this absolute surge in single-use plastics. Um, and really, if your goal is to keep making money off selling fossil fuels, it's actually better for those materials to not be recycled. Um, that's how you get to keep making more and more and more plastic. That's how you make money. Um, so we have started recognizing that that is really the crux driving this issue, and there is upstream pressure. So Colorado joins three other states in passing this producer responsibility legislation in the last two years. And, and name the states. I know it was at California, Oregon, and Maine. Exactly. So Maine and Oregon went first, uh, then Colorado, and then lastly, um, we've had California pass this law recently. Um, I did a ton of work 
down there in California. And one thing that's really interesting about the California policy is it's producer responsibility, but it goes one step further, and it actually requires that we make less single-use plastics in the first place, 25% less over the next 10 years. So that itself could go a long way. Yes, we uh, have done some analysis, um, and I calculated that 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 source reduction piece alone uh, would lead to 23 million tons less plastic going into the state of California over the next 10 years, which is equivalent to 26 times the weight of the Golden Gate Bridge in the Bay Area in California. Um, So these types of policies can have a real substantial impact. And I'm going to dive in in a sec to the Colorado legislation, and Ani, you can add some national context, but do you think it's really imperative that the not only the pressure comes, but that the mandates target manufacturers? Because is consumer behavior really going to change? We all like to feel good and actually use less plastic, but is that just a dent barely in the bucket without actually mandating change? Absolutely. Um we know we can all individually take accountability and, you know, work towards using less plastic, but it is absolutely not our fault or our responsibility as custom, as customers and consumers that our plastics could not be recycled in the first place. So that is why it is so important to hold these plastic producers and manufacturers accountable for their waste because that actually changes their financial bottom line. We're talking dollars and cents now, and that is what drives producer change and producer behavior to actually make plastics that are recyclable in the first place or make less plastics in the first place because you have to pay for what happens if you can't recycle those products. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So Suzanne Jones, who's um, executive director of EcoCycle, big player in Boulder County and all the front range on recycling and, and composting. So let's dive into the report itself, and in, in particular, the producer responsibility bill. I think it was SB or HB 22, but in either case, it was passed earlier this year, right? The bill's HB 2211, no, 1355. And I'll link to it on the website yes, later. But so as a snapshot, how will it work? So how it works, it's called producer responsibility, and it means that the consumer brands, so that's Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Nabisco, et cetera, they will be held responsible for the full life cycle of the plastic, I'm sorry, all the packaging and paper that they sell in the state of Colorado. And how this works is they pay a fraction of uh, of a cent per unit of packaging it goes into a fund that then reimburses all of the recycling services that are provided statewide so in essence they are going to pay so that none of us have to pay to recycle all of their packaging and paper so it doesn't necessarily say you got to make the packaging differently to begin with but Whatever you do, whatever you make, you must. Well, so fund here's the beauty the of it. Of it. Uh, it. The legislation has a provision that says, in the the plan that the producer set up, it needs to charge more for packaging that isn't recyclable, 
or that's toxic, et cetera, with the idea that you send the market signal that you pay more if you use excessive, excessive amount of packaging or you make it out of unrecyclable goods. And so there's an incentive to only use recyclable materials and to minimize packaging. And so that's where the signal we're sending to the market here in Colorado. It'll take a few years to get implemented, but when it's in place, all Coloradans, whether you live in a rural corner of the state or downtown in an apartment building, will have access to recyclable services, free and convenient as, as their trash service. So the, for businesses, for consumers slash residents, people, they're not required, like, you know, California has some composting legislation that actually requires people to do the composting. So in this case, it sounds like the pressure point and the mandate is strictly for manufacturers. It's saying people will have access, but we're not forcing people well, to Well, we are a local a control state. But yeah. the whole idea, and as Anya mentioned, is to quit making it the consumer's problem and uh -huh. let's put it back on the producers to produce less, to make it recyclable, and, ta and to stand up a system that takes those materials back and then use them to make the new products. Because part of this is it should go with minimum recycled content standards. Mm -hmm so that we end up with a circular economy around the use of these materials. So that's the goal. And I will note that this policy will help provide feedstocks for businesses, and we hope they're local businesses, to make new products out of old products. So right? I take it someone's done the calculus to say, this could actually benefit you <clears throat> companies economically if there's gonna be more markets for your goods versus a lot of the bottle companies Absolutely. No, and the fossil fuel companies are just making more secondary market plastic. Well, to you begin have with. big brands, again, I'll mention Coca-Cola and Pepsi, mm -hmm. that have set out these standards, these goals of recycling all their bottles and making new bottles out of old bottles. And in order to do that, they need to get the bottles back. So they actually were supportive of Colorado's legislation because they're on the hook for this and they need to, to help um, lean into the solution. So... I will note that ultimately the state agency, the Colorado Department of Public Health and the Environment, is in charge of making, you know, enforcing what happens, but it will be run by the producers, and there will also be an advisory board of stakeholders looking over their shoulder to make sure they're um, getting it right. So, so they can choose how to run it, but they must meet the exactly. standards. So and if not, what sort of penalties? You know, what sort of teeth does this have? Well, it's, it's going to take a couple of years to set up, so um, there's an opportunity to, to come back in and um, have the state agency take action. We also have a very active, um, I'll just say, coalition who's been a part of this. And again, some of those are the brands themselves that are, they're on the hook for all the ocean plastic and other things that are bad for their brand. So they're ready to come up with a solution and we're ready to help them come up with a solution. So it's a really a strong partnership and um, it helps that, frankly, um, there's a lot of support in the legislature. And what was interesting in the passage of this legislation is we had towns and cities and counties all over Colorado who greatly support this because it takes the onus off them to pay for recycling programs mm, and have sense. their producers do it. So there's a lot of support for this to be successful. And Anya Brendan of <clears throat> Ocean Conservancy, give us some global and national context. I mean, European countries, I think 40 countries in the world already have in place extender, extended producer responsibility 
mandates? What sort of track record can you point to? Is it actually working? That's a great question, and you're absolutely spot on. This is not a new policy idea. It's just new here in the United States within the last two years. But countries around the world, you know, um, upwards of 40, have had extended producer responsibility laws for packaging in particular um, for nearly three decades now. This has been around since the 90s um, in the European Union, um, our neighbors to the north, um, many of the provinces in Canada have this, um, and countries around the globe. This is a tried and tested and proven policy that is really effective at increasing recycling rates um, and decreasing um, the amount of unnecessary single-use plastics that we use. Um, it's also really effective at making sure that we are designing better plastics in the first place. Um, which is so important to, you know, making sure our recycling stream is working and also making sure that we don't have these plastics out in our oceans. Thank you for that. Um, we just have time for like one takeaway from each of you for listeners. Suzanne Jones of EcoCycle. Well, I encourage you to go to our website, ecocycle.org, to, uh, to look at the report. And also I want to give a shout out to uh, the city of Boulder and Longmont and Louisville and Lafayette, we have some of the best cities when it comes to showing what is possible when it comes to recycling and composting. And we are leaders in the state because of the work that all of us uh, listening are putting into that. So be proud of that. And let's all lean into these statewide solutions that will rise the tide for the entire state. Thank you. And Quickie, uh, Anya Brendan, any takeaway for listeners? Yeah, I would just uh, remind the listeners that plastic pollution anywhere affects us everywhere. And so what you're doing in Colorado, what we're doing in California, what we're doing across the country and across the world really does matter and will have an impact on the health of our ocean and the health of our communities. So if you're interested in learning more or helping us take action to spread this extended producer responsibility laws across the country, visit oceanconservancy.org and hit take action. Thanks so much, Anya Brendan, for coming on the show. Thank you. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our guests were Suzanne Jones, Executive Director of EcoCycle, and Anya Brendan, the U.S. Plastics Policy Analyst at Ocean Conservancy. We'll link to both of those organizations and the report on our website. Our executive producer is I, Susan Moran, and I produce today's show. The show was engineered by KGNU News Director Shannon Young. Headline contributions from Beth Bennett and Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Muddy Waters. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Susan Moran.